This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hey, it's Trisha, and I want to remind you it's back to school time, and we invite you all to join us on the campus of Georgetown University for our annual wellness conference. We have an amazing lineup of luminaries that will put a new spin on happiness and health in your life. You can get all the information you need at AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com. And now for the show. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. We are so excited to have Dr. Tracy Freeman in the studio today to share her thoughts on how to take best care of yourself and those that you love. And Tracy is our chief medical officer at BBNR Wellness. We've been mm-hmm. working with Tracy for... Oh my many gosh, years. Many years. And Tracy is a functional medicine doctor. You're an integrative doctor. And we think she's an incredibly intuitive doctor. So knowing Tracy, we're just so grateful mm-hmm. and so happy that you're here with us in the studio. So well, thanks thank for coming you. here. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for having me. We just want to talk to you about health. And we want to hear what you have to say or what you see most with people and what advice you could give us all to live healthier lives. Mostly, I think I want to talk about fatigue today, and I think that's because I see that a lot in the office. I think so many people come in complaining that they're just not living their optimal lives because they lack the energy to do what they need to do. Mm. In part, I think that's being overscheduled, being people who have to take care of children, work, and try and slip in sleep somewhere in the middle of all that, and that actually doesn't work out all the time. So that's part of it, but it's actually like an onion you peel away. So there's so many layers to it. Some of it's fundamental, like getting sleep and eating right, things like that. And other parts of it are healing your gut, not having infections on board, like mono has come up a lot. I see it more in adults, whereas, you know, stereotypically you think of it as a teenager kissing disease, and it's actually not, (laughs) or not limited to just that. Or perhaps we're getting it from our teenagers. I don't know, but I'm seeing a lot of it in the practice. And that, of course, the number one symptom is fatigue. So it's kind of like digging deep into how did this particular patient land at being fatigued. What do we do about fatigue? What are some tips? So I think if you can work on your stress, which is actually harder than treating an infection or harder than working on your diet and things like that, because you can actually become stressed about your diet Mm -hmm. or actually become stressed about being your best self to the point where it is actually depleting you. So part of that is finding balance. I totally get that. You know, I know for myself, when I will find that something's happening or a test result came back and it's, oh my gosh, a blood test, it wasn't what I wanted. You're right. It's so stressful because even though it's fine, really, the stress around that, making sure that I take all my vitamins at the right time, I think it's stressful. I think that we all have stories in our heads Mm -hmm. and that we end up kind of telling ourselves when you get a blood test, if you go on the internet, looks like the worst thing that could ever happen. And then if you realize that patients, I promise you, you're going to be okay, you know, Mm -hmm. because they've read the internet and it's these horror stories. And the reality is it's likely not that uncommon or likely a simple fix. And everything you see on the internet is not gospel. First of all, look at yourself individually, not just looking on the internet for the worst case scenario, which is so easy to do. And just look at how can I be at peace during that moment? And I will say I'm not the expert at that. 
I struggle with that on a daily basis, but I see the value of being at peace and saying, this is my baby step I'm going to do today. This is the one step in the right direction that I'm going to do today. And if I go the wrong way, it's okay. Tomorrow's Mm. a new day. The role of vitamin D3, can you talk about that and fatigue? That was one real stressful situation for me because when I got my (laughs) vitamin D3 resolve back, it was so low. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. And then we talked about it. And what do we do to get our vitamin D3 level up? And what is the role of vitamin D3? If you live in an area that doesn't get much sunshine, your vitamin D level is going to be low unless you take vitamin D. Mm. So it really is as simple as taking vitamin D. I myself this winter forgot to take vitamin D until my forearm gave me so much pain that I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm having bone pain. My vitamin D level must be so low that I need to supplement. And sure enough, I gave myself a mega dose of D3. I only use D3 as opposed to D2. And the bone pain went away. So it was a clear indication that I was deficient. But I think people get confused with it, and it's a misnomer. Vitamin D is not a vitamin. It's a hormone. It integrates with the cholesterol in our skin and from there travels around through the body and becomes calcitriol eventually. So I try and check both to see if your vitamin D level, where that is and where it's going. And recognizing that in the wintertime, it's just going to be low on the East Coast. What does that mean if it becomes calcitriol? So that's just another name for another type of vitamin D. Mm. Yeah. I have a question about sun and vitamin D. How much is the right amount of sun to get for vitamin D? And when is it too much? That depends on complexion. Mm. So the fairer you are, really, you only need 10 minutes a day on your face and arms. That would be at a high point for sun. So probably between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. would be good. The browner you get, the longer it takes. So if you're very dark skinned, you're looking at 30 minutes of sun in a day to get your daily dose. Again, I would say in our culture here locally in Washington, we work too hard. And so the number of people who are actually getting out to get 10 to 30 minutes of sun is negligible. And we've all talked about this, that we're sort of modern day cavemen. We're inside most of the time. And then when we go outside, we slather ourselves with sunscreen. Right. And so therefore, we're not getting any vitamin D3. Right. Naturally. I, you know, I've seen it help people feel much better. I mean, surprisingly so. And in the wintertime, it seems to keep away the viruses and things like that, that people struggle with. And like you said, it's not a vitamin. It is a steroid. And you like to see that level above 50. 50. Yeah. Yes. So anything above 50, it's now being able to do everything it's meant to do, which is to keep us healthier. And is it true that most cancer patients or people with some sort of disease or sickness pretty much have low vitamin D levels? Vitamin D is certainly one factor, Mm -hmm. for sure. I do think, again, if you have a stressful patient, someone who's gung-ho, they can go overboard, too. Right. Hello, that's what happened to me. spot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like, oh, no, because my vitamin D3 was 31, which freaked me out. And then I got it so high that it was like, okay, let's just come back down. So pain is usually a level less than 10 is what I see. Well, you'll start to get the pain. So that's Mm -hmm. really low. So 31 is not so bad. And there's some people who strive for that. 
before because I thought that it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> she, you're freaking out and your stress level went way That's up. exactly right. what yeah. happened. That's what we were saying. Like Our bodies don't know the difference between that cyber-toothed tiger that's attacking mm. us versus my vitamin D3 level seemed low to me at 31. Right. <laughs> exactly. And that's normal on the value. Right. Just barely. But still. Right. right. <laughs> How often should you get your vitamin D3 checked? To be clear, I've never seen anyone who's taking it not have a good number. It seems to absorb across the board. Mm. Even if someone has what I know to be uh, dysbiosis or their gut's off, they still seem to manage to get a level. So I would say if you're striving for optimal level once a month would be a good amount until you know your balance. And once you know the level it takes for you to land at a good number, it's not that hard to do. So that's vitamin D3. What else could we be doing to fight fatigue in terms of supplements, the things that we can do to at least help with fatigue? Right. So, you know, it really depends on the cause for sure. Also, time of year plays a role because there's certain things you want to guard against in the winter, I would say more so than you want to guard against in the summer because we just seem to have more bugs that we're exposed to. But supplement-wise, certainly vitamin C has got some decent data behind it in terms of prevention. And in the springtime, your allergies down. In the wintertime, your immune system up. By and large, most people do well on it, and it seems to be protective. For sure. And if you look at the work of Linus Pauling, he did a lot of vitamin C working against cancer and helping your immune system and things of that nature. So it certainly can be a little mini miracle. Let's talk about probiotics and gut health. What is the actual role of probiotics? I mean, what do they do? And what do you like to talk about when you talk about gut health? Probiotics meaning good bacteria like what you get in yogurt. And certainly there are good yogurts and there are bad yogurts, yogurts that you can eat and get some benefit from, and you'll feel it typically that it's doing something good for you. But then there's other yogurts that are probably a little bit more processed and you'll get nothing from it. I think we've been trained to think of bacteria as bad. And the reality is we're more bacteria or microbial than we are human in terms of cells. So we have to make peace with the fact that bacteria are part of us and we shouldn't be out to kill every single one of them. But we just want to have more good bacteria than bad. One of the things I think people that they complain of when their gut's off is gas. Right? A lot of bloating, a lot of passing a lot of gas, belching, just feeling constipated or stuck in their gut. And probiotics initially may constipate you, but it's actually not a bad sign. You just give it a chance to work and then it should push through, so to speak, and things will rebalance after a while. So often things will take a step back before they take two steps forward and you feel a lot better. Generally speaking, if you think about the gut and how long it stretches out, how many feet it lasts, it takes a while to bring it back into balance in terms of getting rid of bad things, putting in good things as you age. Your enzymes, you may need digestive enzymes to help you to get your nutrition and not to send down whole foods, right? So it starts with chewing very well, digesting and breaking food down. But if you don't have the digestive enzymes to break food down, you send down a smorgasbord of whole parts of food to feed bad bugs. In some cases, and I say this statistically, as we age greater than 40, you slowly stop being able to break down your food as optimally as you could before. And that just means taking an enzyme or perhaps like a good quality apple cider vinegar with your food to break it down a little bit better. Mm. And that way, the bad bugs, the dysbiosis, 
won't be impacted as badly. It will only send down food should leave the stomach as water, as fluid. Mm. And if you're sending in chunks, it's feeding the wrong things. Yeah, that's bad news for our family because we're like speed eaters, you know. We're like turn around and everybody's done. So that's not good. But Tracy, when I go into the pharmacy or I go in to buy the probiotics, I'm overwhelmed by the thousands of bottles of probiotics. So what's the process for choosing probiotics and what kind of probiotics do you recommend? So I think the right one is the one you're going to take. And oftentimes that's the one that's not refrigerated unfortunately, and myself included. So if I have to turn my back to walk over to the fridge when I'm thinking about my supplements, somehow I'm not going to do that. So the one that's not refrigerated for me personally is easier. I can just get it in. I can have it with me. You know, I can pop it in my mouth, and that helps. If you are really an organized person who can have something in your fridge, have something in your purse, or however it works, then that's excellent. There are plenty of great refrigerated ones. I typically advise people to get at least 25 billion CFE use is what they're called, or colony forming units, a minimum of that a day if you're going to be taking a probiotic, unless you're someone who eats a lot of fermented foods or things that give you, by nature, a lot of probiotics, then I think that pill, and it sounds like a lot, but literally that's a very small pill. It's not that much. And you can find a lot of them, I believe, in kind of rotating your probiotics. So the bad bugs in your gut evolve Resistance, and that's controversial, but to me it makes sense. And so keeping things on their toes means putting in a new army of Mm. good Mm -hmm. soldiers in there, for sure. That does make sense. Definitely. Can you talk about the connection or when we call our gut the second brain? Why? Why do we hear that so often? The gut also has hormones that it creates that are very famous in the brain. So serotonin being the main one, serotonin in the gut is used to keep things flowing, moving along. So if your serotonin's low, you're going to be more constipated in terms of the gut. The hard part about it is we can test urinary hormones, these same hormones, and people extrapolate that therefore this represents what your brain has going on. But the reality is there's no way to tell where that's coming from, if it's coming from your gut. In fact, it's more likely to come from your gut and not necessarily represent your brain. That being said, it's a two-way street. So the brain influences the gut and the gut influences the brain. Certainly in France, there's data to suggest that the bacteria, they're using more advanced testing than we have here to look at what bacteria people have in their bloodstream. They're using spectroscopy or something like spectrometry to see which bugs that people have. And as they kill them, the brain is kind of waking up a little bit more. So it does show that bugs floating around in the body have an impact on the way you daily think. It's been shown to affect your mood. It's been shown to affect your immunity. It's even been shown that people who have kidney stones, they're missing a particular probiotic that other people don't have. Certainly, we're learning, I think, instead of looking in the far beyond in the universe, really, we have to look within. And we're discovering more and more about what these little small microbes mean to our health. And when you were talking about digestive enzymes, oftentimes people take way too many, not too many, but they've got vitamins and sometimes they don't dissolve and get absorbed, right? So you can poop out a fortune. Literally. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> literally. So, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah. You know, there is a guide that studied which vitamins are more likely to be absorbed and which ones are you're pooping out whole. Like there oh, are God. people who have honestly studied 
poop looking for vitamin tablets <laughs> to see well, which one came back right. out, right? Because if it comes back out, that was a waste of time, right? Yeah, a right. waste of money mm. in general. So there is a guide that reflects like the rankings of which ones broke down the most. Unfortunately, the cheaper ones didn't break right. down, right? So it is yeah. get a higher quality. You get, a higher, get what right. you pay for. Right. And also, would a digestive enzyme help with that? You know, there's a chance that actually yeah. would make sense. I don't think it's been studied. You know, right. these things don't make that much money to get the dollars for research mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. the reality. So. But it feels like if you are getting some sort of other digestion aid in right. there, it might help with the breakdown. Yeah. Right. thought. I have a question which I think is possibly related, but it has to do with the gut and the brain, I think, and digestion. So people I know very well, when they travel, all of a sudden they become constipated. Like they put their foot on the plane. (laughs) And this is an issue. And I'm wondering, I mean, is that all in the mind or what's going on there? I do think part of that is in the mind as quintessentially female. Right. So mm. you rarely hear a man saying, I get on a plane and now I can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> They'll go anywhere. Right. So it's very much a woman's issue. My father was a GYN oncologist and he said the American woman is the most constipated creature on the planet. He would say that over and over again. And it's true because psychologically we need to be relaxed. Right. And there's that I think we've been socialized to a degree of shame around it or privacy. And I have a brother who will do whatever where he doesn't care and he's awfully proud of himself, right? <laughs> so but you never hear a woman talk like that. And mm. in fact, when we're with our brothers or husbands who behave like that, you're always like, come on, you know, why would you do that? Why are we talking about this? You shun them a little bit, but perhaps they're more on the right track. I do think it's comfort and privacy and relaxation to mm. get things going. Mm-hmm. When you talked about peeling back the onion as it relates to fatigue, what else should we talk about? I mean, some supplements, definitely our diet, you were saying. Sleep. 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 Can we talk about sleep? Sure. <laughs> the elusive sleep. Right. Some of it is our own fault because we put ourselves in front of computers and that gives off a light that tells our brain that, hey, it's still daytime. So no need to start winding down. We're still going to keep going. We were designed to kind of work with the sun. And if we create an artificial sun, then the body doesn't know how to shut down. That would be step one, kind of giving yourself, like you give your toddler a drink time so they don't pee the bed at night. You give yourself a screen time (laughs) so -hmm. that you can actually shut down as well as the screen shuts down. Then they're just, I think, partly stress, the idea that your brain doesn't shut down. Your brain doesn't give you a chance to relax. I think the adaptogenic herbs do a great job at telling your brain to take it easy, let it go a little bit. So those would be holy basil or ashwagandha, rhodiola. Those things actually tell the brain, just take it easy for a moment, let it go. Otherwise, we have a never-ending to-do list in our head. Those also will work well at keeping you down. So some people, it's not a matter of falling asleep. It's a matter of staying asleep, which actually is, I think, a little bit more common it's a degree of fight or flight, right? The body that says we've made it, that's enough sleep to make it, to survive. Wake up before you get eaten alive in your cave. The body will just wake you up to say, get busy because we've got to protect ourselves here. We can't just be off guard. That's enough sleep to make it. And of course, enough sleep to make it is not optimal. You need to get a couple more hours of sleep typically. Falling asleep is easier to treat. 
if that's the issue, staying asleep is harder because it usually involves the adrenal glands and adrenal fatigue, which is a longer treatment than anything else. And what makes your adrenals fatigued? Stress. <laughs> so, and, yeah, yeah. So we're evolving into a circle here, yeah. <laughs> so it, basically, it's the ongoing, never-ending duties that we've created for ourselves. The funny thing, you know, it wasn't funny when we had the government shut down at all, but the funny thing that my patients learned from that is that the world didn't stop without them, right? So that the government shut down, and for all their hard work, for all the effort they've put into their jobs, that when they weren't allowed to do it, that the earth kept spinning, Right. So it was a good lesson for them to realize that, you know, I can take a break and things will still go OK. I see that again in my population of patients is mostly women. Naturally, I see that mostly in women as well that need to keep going, going, going and doing, doing, doing. Not getting your sleep becomes a pretty serious matter, right? I mean, it leads to lots of health issues. Sure. The cardiovascular disease risk goes up. The cancer risk goes up. Certainly, lifespan goes down. The chances of a survival go down without sleep. When you've got a lot to do, it seems unnecessary. It seems like, well, I've got so much to do. All to do is cut down on my sleep and I'll get more done. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the next day you're less efficient. The brain needs a break. It needs a moment to work it through in its own way, in a subconscious way to get through it. Just like when you're in school, if you're in a class, Every hour, optimally, the brain needs 15 minutes away to regenerate itself and take a break, and then it can come back in and optimally focus. So you can do it all, but only for a period of time. And then eventually, you're going to fall down. Somewhere along the way, things are going to go south. So you have to kind of just invest in yourself, Mm. which is hard. It's really hard. And at the conference, we talk about that. You know, it's hard for people to carve out a day for themselves, which is crazy. But this idea that really, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to focus on myself and learn is hard. It is hard. And especially if you have family and are living with family and family around, why is it that we always want to take care of them first before we take care of ourselves? I wish I knew it's almost in the genetic code because I honestly used to look at women before I had kids and like, why on earth are you putting these men before you and these children before you take care of yourself? And now I am that woman. The airlines has it right where when they drop the mask down (laughs) and they tell you to put it on yourself first and then your child. But we don't do that. No, I don't know anyone who does that. (laughs) I don't either. I don't know any woman that does that. Me either. And here's the other thing, too, when you think about that, we think we're taking care of ourselves by taking the vitamins, or we think we're taking care of ourselves by maybe eating right, or we think we're taking care of ourselves and we're drinking water, which is all good, but without stress. It could be negligible. It could be negligible. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Because it's so fundamental. And the CDC has said that out of the top six causes of death, five of them are related to stress. If we think about that how much we should make that a priority. It's absurd, but we're in bad habits. Even as a country, when you vacation in Europe, you meet Europeans who are on their six-week vacation time. They get this break, and you're like, I'm glad I got a week. You know, like, I'm really pretty happy about my week off here. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) right. So it's it's a mentality and a difference that we have not prided ourselves on. We think work is supreme, and we're going the wrong way that way. In fact, when we were in Europe last summer, we were with your people that were from France, and they were there, and they were so slow. And I remember going, oh, my God. Getting really impatient. Yeah. It was like, okay. You know, it was like, we got to go. I mean, we want to get on the bikes. We have so much to do. They are just enjoying the moment. Right. It's stressful when they're enjoying the moment. Right. Right. Don't you know I have a to-do list? Yeah, exactly. To 
Exactly. It just stresses everyone. But yeah, that's something that we have to all think about and breathe. No, I find myself holding my breath and then I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. And we breathing. We do the shallow breathing too. You know, we're not doing the deep, full, filling our lungs. We're, you know, doing that shallow thing, which causes stress in your body. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Tracy, if you had one piece of advice or additional advice to give to those listening, what would it be? I think that the part that requires more of a doctor. If the things we've talked about so far have not helped you to gain energy, then you would need a workup. And the workup, I think, would include for a menstruating woman or someone coming out of menopause, anemia, right? So is your blood count so low that you don't even have enough wherewithal to carry oxygen to the parts of your body? And that is actually not uncommon. And then other things that require a workup would be the infections again. Mono would be a one. In our area, Lyme is a big deal um, in terms of fatigue and lack of energy. A cousin, I call it a cousin, they're not necessarily related, but CMV is another virus that occasionally I see that can cause fatigue similarly to mono. So those kinds of things need blood workup to see if you've landed there. Other than that, I think that it sounds simple, but it's the most complicated thing is unplugging from stress. Our next podcast, we should maybe spend the entire time with Tracy talking about that. What are modalities or what can we do to reduce our stress? And breath is one of them. Mm-hmm. And that 478 from Dr. Weil is one that I know we use with mm-hmm. a lot of people where you breathe in for four breaths, hold it for seven, and then blow out for eight. And then you just do it routinely and routinely. It's almost like pranayama breathing. So you're Mm -hmm. holding one nostril and you're breathing in. But that's actually a quick way to bring your stress down. Mm -hmm. Because is it true that you can't be stressed when you're deep breathing? It sounds right. It sounds right, too. (laughs) I'm going to try it. (laughs) It at least sounds like a step in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like a step in the right direction. Many people can't even meditate, right? Like A lot of people can't even turn it off for even a minute. I'm like, download an app that'll give you like a one-minute meditation. And it's not possible. I find that the emotional freedom technique helps a lot. Of people, if they go on YouTube and watch that, kind of takes this stress off of, mm-hmm. of people, and it doesn't take that long, which is what people are looking for with the land of the quick fix. Trisha and I are exploring in a book that we're writing all the many different ways we can approach mindfulness that it's not just meditation, it's not just sitting on a pillow, but that it can include listening to music or that it can include walking in nature. And so, to your point, not everyone can meditate, but we do need to figure out a way to reduce our stress. It's critical. When you think about people learning to meditate in certain personalities, it is true. They get so stressful. You know, it happened to me. (laughs) And it's a practice. Right. Because their body immediately starts itching. Immediately you've got someplace you need to be. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden the to-do list pops in the forefront. People that consider themselves regular meditators. They also have that experience. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And the idea that we talk about a lot is that stress really doesn't exist. There is no stress. Like there is none. Because if there was, it would be the same for all of us. So it's really the way that we react to situations. And John Kabat-Zinn, who's one of our great teachers, has taught us that. It's really the reaction to the situation. And that is in your control. And so it's a breakdown of that. And how am I going to create space from what just happened and how I'm going to react? And that's really an exploration that could take, well, lives. <laughs> right. right. And people need hand-holding to, yeah. to a degree to yeah. get through that. Because we don't think like that, right? You say something, I react. You say something, I react. And we just learned to be that way. It's a habit. 
Tracy, as always, this is just awesome to be with you. Well, thank you for having me. For so sure. we will do a second podcast. Maybe we can explore the whole stress thing even okay. deeper. Okay. All right. Thanks, thank Tracy. you, Tracy. Thank right. you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doral. Be well.